0: Well, Welcome. It's so good to be here with you today. Um, as Pastor Tim has said, my name is uh, Frank and I serve as the executive pastor here at Grace Point and am pleased to be on staff with uh, such a wonderful staff with such wonderful people. So today is going to be a great party, isn't it? For those of you who are Cheese fans, I'm assuming you're going to do some partying, right? And for those of you who aren't Cheese fans, you're still going to party because that's what we do, right? We party. Did you know that the Super Bowl is going to be shown in over 130 countries, in over 30 languages, and that I looked up last year's Super Bowl, how many viewers watched it, and 102 million people watched the Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers last year. I had to mention that because Pastor Mark's a San Francisco 49er fan, (laughs) and as you can tell, I am not. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan through and through, as you can see, and every week during football season, you can count on this, that Jesus is going to return and that Pastor Frank is going to wear Dallas Cowboys stuff, okay? So I'm going to do something today that I have never, ever, ever, ever done. I have always worn Cowboys gear, okay? Okay? So today, because I had a ton of people ask me if I was going to wear something with a cheese, I decided, and I have to tell you right off the bat, I borrowed this, did not buy it. (laughs) That'd be be stepping over some boundaries. I decided that I would wear something cheese today. You will probably never see this again. (laughs) except for those of you that have already taken pictures and posted it already. (laughs) I want to talk to you today about what I believe is the greatest party that we could ever be invited to. I love parties. You love parties. I love parties. What is it that we love about them? We love being around people that we enjoy spending time with, The ideal of somebody inviting you to their party makes you feel special and you love who the special guest is, right? You just love that. And I love that. And I want to talk about what I believe the greatest party is and how none of us want to miss that party and we don't have to miss that party. Have you ever felt like you needed just to push reset on your feelings, your thinking or your life? Like many of you, this past year has come with several challenges that I have to admit that I was not fully prepared for. This past fall, I found myself at a crossroad. Like many of you, I would listen to the news daily to hear about the newest updates on the pandemic and the elections, and without question, I was focusing most of my energy on these things, and it caused me to become melancholic in my personality. Now, if you know me, you know that is not me. I, I tend to be that cup half full person. I mean, each year I believe the Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders. So you, you get the point. It came to a point where I had to step, stop listening to all the voices in the news. It, it was, and it still seems to be, gloom and doom news all the time. It became harder and harder to know what was fact and what was fiction. Uh, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? do we have to social distance? Should we not social distance? Should we send kids to school? Should we not send kids to school? Uh, should, should we get the vaccination? Should we not get the vaccination? Uh, who's telling the truth about uh, what on the election and what Canada this and what candidate that? I came to be asking myself through these several months of COVID early on, how do I know if I can trust what I've been told? Did you know that the approval rating for the media, the TV, the radio, newspaper, mass media, when it comes to reporting the news fully and accurately and fairly, its highest approval rating was in 1977 at 72%. In 2021, it's 40%. Congress approval ratings hover around 15%. So who do you believe? What is fact and what is fiction? So we're going to do a little crowd participation here right now, and I'm going to make some statements of things that we have heard in our life growing up, and you're going to tell me whether they're fact or fiction. We'll start out with an easy one. The Chiefs have been in three Super Bowls, fact or fiction? Fact. The Cowboys have played in eight Super Bowls, fact or fiction? I just had to throw that in. It has been a long time. It's been a long time. Somebody came up to me after first service and they said they said cuz I made the statement in that and I'll make it again that the Cowboys are God's team and he said just remember the children of Israel were God's people and they waited in the wilderness for 400 years. <laughs> I can't wait that long. <laughs> okay, here's another statement. Fact or fiction? Blood is blue in your body until it is exposed to air. Fiction. It takes seven years to digest chewing gum. Come on, who didn't hear that growing up? Fiction. Sugar makes kids hyper. Fiction. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. Fiction. He patented it. It was actually an Italian, thank you very much. <laughs> Henry Ford invented the automobile. Fiction, it was a German engineer, Carl Benz. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Fiction, he developed it. A huge difference. I was taught these things growing up as fat. This doesn't mean I don't believe anything I was taught or anything I hear. I have learned how to have a healthy skepticism. There's one source I've learned over the years that I can trust 100%, and that's God's written word, the Bible. I'm gonna ask you to turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 3, verses 5 through 17, we're gonna look at in your mobile app, and we'll also have it up here on the screen. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, sharing with his young, this young Timothy who he is mentoring. And he says this, he writes this to Timothy. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When Paul writes that God inspired these men, he's not talking like the inspiration of like when somebody does some heroic, something heroic, and you're inspired to want to do that as well. He's saying literally that God inspired them to write every word that they wrote down. He spoke into their spirit and he told them what to say. This past fall, I was reminded of this truth. I had to push the reset button on my approach to the news that I needed most to listen to and trust. Now, I still listen to the news, but with a different set of ears, so to speak. You see, as Christians, we've been given a great gift, the Holy Scriptures, which are inspired by God. Knowing God's word, believing his message to us should bring us great hope of our future, of our eternity. You see, the Bible is a unique book and it stands all by itself. For greater evidence of that, one can look to the phenomenon of fulfilled prophecy just in it. The Bible reveals God's future plans for us. Did you know that 25 to 30% of all scripture is about prophecy? First prophecy on the first coming of the Messiah In the Old Testament alone, there are at least 322 predictions regarding the Messiah. And Jesus checks every one of those boxes. God promised the Messiah and he kept his promise in sending his only son, Jesus, to save us. It has been calculated that the probability of any one man fulfilling eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That is one with 17 zeros added to it. There is overwhelming evidence here. This is fact and not fiction. Then there's prophecy on the second coming of Jesus. Jesus promised he would come back again just as he left and he established his, king and established his kingdom. You can read that in Acts 1.11. And he will. Actually, references to the second coming outnumber the first coming by a factor of 8 to 1. In the Old Testament, Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 books. And in the New Testament, 23 of the 27 books. Jesus himself referred to his return 21 times. I prefer putting my hope in the promise of Jesus' return than in our government, my retirement funds, my relationships, my health, and you can fill in the blank. Today, I would like to help those of you who, like me, need to push the reset button. We're going to take a look at a couple of parables that Jesus himself used to tell us what the kingdom of heaven will be like and how we can get an invitation to the greatest party ever. Stories are powerful. And when we read the Bible, 35% of everything Jesus said was taught through stories or parables. Back in the first century, people couldn't read or write. So stories were how truth was shared. These stories were set in a familiar context that the original audience would understand and are just as relevant to us today. Jesus' parables are short stories he taught using everyday objects that his audience would understand. Jesus used these parables to teach spiritual truths to those who had ears to hear and eyes to see. These spiritual truths were how Jesus explained the kingdom of God. And I wanna make this crystal clear. These truths are meant for followers to understand. Let me give you a little background. Jesus was answering a question posed by his disciples in Matthew 24. They asked this question, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? I want to pause for a moment here because when people read that, they think the end of the world as total annihilation of destruction. That is not what the Bible teaches. Will there be a new earth? A new heaven, yes, the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that Jesus is going to reign here on this earth and we're going to reign with him. How awesome is that? So really, the better way to read this would be this. What sign will signal your return in the end of this age? This age, these things are going to pass, new things are gonna come. There's gonna be peace, there's gonna be no more war, no more hunger, we're gonna be laughing all the time. Tears of joy. It doesn't get any better than that. Is that not what we are shooting for now in this crazy world we live in? Jesus speaks about the future because he wants his disciples, his followers, to know what they have to look forward to. I believe Jesus is telling us these things for a twofold purpose. First, to give true believers hope. Second, to warn those who say they believe to not be caught sleeping or being lazy in the pursuit of a relationship with him. So, if you will, turn to Matthew 25, and we're gonna look at the first 13 verses in just a moment here. My wedding day was one of the most memorable days of my life so far. If those of you that are married, you would say, amen. Wow, that was pretty pretty weak. Well, I'm gonna say amen, because my wife is in here. (laughs) I must confess that when it came to planning our wedding, I was not your typical groom-to-be. Most grooms tend to take a step back and let the bride plan everything out, and I can understand why. But for me, my perfection kicks in, and I wanted everything to be perfect, and I felt like I shouldn't just leave everything to Brenda, my wife, to do, so we divvied up the responsibilities. Of course, Brenda chose the color she wanted and the decorations she wanted, and as you know, there are a lot of little details that go into planning a wedding, but it was totally worth it, amen? There you go, way to make up for it. Time and time again, I see this excitement when a couple gets engaged. It's crazy how fast they start to prepare for marriage. Instantly, they change their focus. There's, there's this higher level of commitment and plans for a new life are set into motion. In biblical times, Weddings were a pure joy and celebration. At the end of the engagement period, a wedding feast would be held. It was during the feast and its related celebrations that the entire community came and got involved. And this festivity would last up to a full week. And it went a bit, little bit like this. Sometime in the evening, the groom and his groomsmen would arrive at the bride's house where her bridesmaids waited with her. And together the bride and the groom and their attendants would then parade through the streets proclaiming that the wedding feast was about to begin. Lamps were used by the wedding party to light the way and attract attention. Let's take a look at a parable that Jesus told about a wedding just like this. So if you will, follow along with me as I read this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But when they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. You see, there are usually 10 lamps in a bridal procession, common size of a wedding party. And Jesus in this parable, he uses metaphors to tell us, to to help us to recognize some things. In this story, the bridesmaid represents Christians those who carry the lamp of truth. While all the bridesmaids looked as if they were ready, only half of them actually were. The unprepared were turned away, even worse by the groom himself who said, I don't know you. But those who were prepared got to join the celebration. You see, we know that marriage should always be taken seriously. Marriage takes a great amount of determination and love And metaphorically speaking, we're Jesus' bride, and he longs to be with us. Much like a loving groom, he's prepared a place for us. So what does this mean to us? It means we need to start preparing too. Some of you have probably seen this before, and I've used this in other settings before. But I want this rope to represent a timeline, And this black part, this tape right here, represents what the average person will live. Studies have been showing, the scripture even tells us, between 70 and 80 years old. I said the first hour, I'll say it again, that uh, men average around 78, women average around 82. I think the women live longer because they get a few years of peace. (laughs) So this represents, and all the women said amen, this represents right now our life, and this represents eternity. I mean, I can't get enough rope to to let speak about eternity, but in this life this is what I see that we do. And you know this to be true. And un- understandably so. We start out, and we, we start out in school and education and studying hard, and we prepare for all that, and that's good to do. And then, and then we uh, prepare for who might be our boyfriend or our girlfriend or who we're gonna break up with or whatever like that. And then we start thinking of our future. What are we gonna do in our life? Who are we gonna marry? Um, where are we gonna vacation? Uh, who are we gonna invest our money? Who are we gonna vote for? All that kind of stuff. And if we're honest, folks, If we're honest with ourselves, the amount of time we put in preparation here for this is very limited. Yeah, we'll show up to church. We may serve on a team here at the church. We give of our finances, maybe go on a mission trip once in a while. Um, But in all honesty, studies show that most people that go to church that call themselves Christians don't even read their Bible on a regular basis. Studies also show, by the way, that those who read their Bible at least five times a week are much more happier, much more happier and have great hope. And that's what I want to pass on to you today, what Jesus is passing on to us, the hope that we have in this eternity. And I dare say we need to start spending more time focusing on this and less time on this. I think we've spent plenty of time on this, don't you? Don't you? With the short time we have in this life, and it is short compared to eternity, we need to prepare ourselves to be united with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus yet, this is the first step. A marriage takes two, and just like an adult wedding, actual wedding, this is only the beginning. Being a Christian means actively pursuing a pure heart. It requires effort. If you've only committed your life to Jesus in a formal sense, you haven't actually invited him into your heart to make changes, you're not ready. Pastor Bob shared with us last week the great hope we have in Jesus Christ for salvation if we only believe in him as Lord and Savior and surrender our lives to him fully. He reminded us that we are given a new heart and a new spirit when we make this commitment. And I'd like to proclaim to you today, to our knowledge, we know of three adults who gave their life to Christ last week. That's something to celebrate, folks. There may be others of you that were listening online last week, sometime along the week possibly, or were here in the service that didn't let us know. Please let us know this. This is extremely important. Let us come alongside of you and champion this cause as we help prepare you for this great party that is waiting for all of us. Please let us know. Do you really know Jesus or are you just following him when it benefits you? The truth is you can go through the motions of attending church, doing good things and saying the right prayers without the reality of a relationship. Let me put it another way. If you follow someone on social media, you tag them in your post, all your posts, cheer for the same sports team as them. Does that mean you know them? If Jesus were here right now, would he greet you as a friend or a stranger? We need to be Christians that really know Jesus. We need to be Christians that are prepared for the day we are united with him. So what does it mean to be prepared? Just like the bridesmaids, it's our duty as Christians to shine and continually allow Jesus to renew our hearts and to show his work in us. Have you ever noticed that when a couple is dating or married for a long time, they start to become more like each other? Uh, they laugh at the same jokes, they think alike, they even finish each other's sentences. In the same way, the more time we spend with Jesus, we will become more like him. And that's a good thing. The key to preparedness is about allowing God to transform us and into the kind of person whose behavior naturally follows a righteous lifestyle. It's not enough just to abstain from sin to do Christian things. The Bible tells us that good deeds without love are useless and faith without actions is dead. These statements can help to clarify what it means to be a Christian. Change has to happen both in our hearts, in our behavior. It can't just be one or the other. And, folks, the scary reality is that some of us are like the foolish bridesmaids. We are simply playing the game of Christianity. You remember, they look just like the wise ones. I want you to know in this story, they believe in the master, in Jesus. They believed he was going to come back. We're not talking atheists here, folks. We're talking people who actually believed, but they were not prepared. Did you notice that all the bridesmaids had a lamp? All of them thought they were ready. The foolish bridesmaid discovered when it was already too late that they actually weren't prepared. And in desperation, they asked the ready bridesmaids for some of their oil. The wise bridesmaids reminds them that they only had enough for themselves. And here's the truth, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is telling us that we can't ride on the coattails of others. Uh Uh-uh, can't happen. We aren't ready just because we attend church or youth group or our parents are Christians or we're raised in a Christian home or we don't do bad things. We have to make it our own. Ask yourself honestly, are you ready? We need to examine the state of our heart. Are there weeds that need to be rooted out like pride, greed, or maybe unforgiveness? Holding on to these things is absolutely dangerous. They keep us from maturing in our faith. We have to be ready, living each day in constant anticipation of his return in the same way a bride waits with excitement and anticipation for her wedding day. The promise here is that Jesus is absolutely going to return. So don't let this present world and his life circumstances cause you to lose hope or keep you from being prepared. Please don't. Now, Jesus goes into another parable And this one, I'm going to modernize a bit for you so you can take time later on to read it for yourself. But it is Matthew 25 as well. And it starts at verse 14 and goes to verse 30. And this parable takes up the question, which the parable the bridesmaid left unanswered, what is readiness. So Jesus tells a story of an investment broker who went away on a trip and entrusted his investment accounts to three employees. In the Bible, they're called servants and masters, but you get the idea. The head broker needed to leave on a very long business trip. So he gave each junior broker a different amount of cash to invest based on their individual level of experience. The most experienced broker was given $5,000. The next was given $2,000. And the last one was given $1,000. The head broker left for quite a long time. In his absence, the employees decided for themselves how to invest the money entrusted to them. When their boss returned from his trip, he called each of them to give an account of how they used this money, his money. The first employee, he made a killing. He doubled his investment and he was rewarded with being made partner in the firm and given more to invest. The second broker took the money given to her and doubled it as well. She was also made a partner and given more to invest. The third employee felt afraid to try investing the money and just hid the $1,000 that was entrusted to him. He had a distorted view of his boss and thought it better to hide the money than risk investing it and possibly losing it. He didn't even put it into an interest-bearing, tax-free savings account. The head broker was ticked because he wanted him to try his hand in investing. And Matthew 25, 26 tells us how the broker, the master, Jesus, responded to the servant who made excuses and will respond to us when we make excuses. You wicked... And lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. Notice how the master doesn't pull any punches. By one's actions or lack of action, people show their true commitment to the Lord. The third servant demonstrated he was not a true servant of his master. Again, I want to remind you, in this story as well, in this parable, these three servants believed in the master. They believed in Jesus. In the larger context of Matthew 25, the main point of this parable is clear. Our readiness for Jesus' return is determined by our stewardship of the resources that he's given us. It is a matter of being it is a matter of being about our business for the Lord. This is a parable to tell us how we should be spending our time, our gifts, our talents, investing in the building of the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus returns, we will receive an invite to the greatest party ever. Jesus tells us in Matthew six thirty three to seek first, not last, not when we feel like it, not when things are going good or when we want something from God so we barter with him. But seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Fact is, at the greatest party ever, we're gonna be given everything we need. That's something for me to shout for. When my team scores a touchdown, I shout for joy. If you were ever to sit down and watch a game, my wife and kids, if they're downstairs, my wife can be all the way down, three, four stories down in our house. And when, when my Cowboys score a touchdown, she can hear. She can also hear when they don't either. But I get really loud. Are you not gonna cheer for your team that way today if you're a Chiefs fan or a Bucks fan, if they score a touchdown? I'm sure you are. Well, why would we not rejoice in that way, knowing at this party, we're gonna be given everything we need. In Luke's recording of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, I want to take a look at the first line that Luke tells us that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Luke 11:2. He says this, he says, "Father, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon." God is rightly given a privileged title, and we are given a privileged relationship with him through Jesus. The word holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion. Who deserves our complete devotion more than God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son? No one does. So when you go to this statement and Jesus says it this way, may your name be kept holy, I believe he means we should represent him well in this life because we are his representatives to this lost and dying world. We're imperfect and he knows that, but we are still who he has chosen to represent him in this lost and dying world. The way we live our lives reflects on who God is to those that around us that are watching, folks. Let us not take this relationship for granted. When we come to God in prayer, we must believe that He is holy. To pray, may your kingdom come soon requires hope because we trust it will come just as we have been promised it would. I won't ask, but if I ask for a a show of hands, I wonder how many of you could actually raise your hand with me and say, I've been praying, may your kingdom come soon. Because see, I think we're too busy focusing on everything here. That our prayers, and not that that's wrong, that we shouldn't be praying for our needs or wants or our desires and stuff like that. Scripture says we can do that. But how many of us take the time to really pray for what's really important, eternity, and pray for things of that nature. I would challenge you to do that. There's a saying that goes like this, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. That is a stupid statement. So if you ever come to me and say that statement, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna say that's a stupid statement. I have heard that so many times in my life, I just wanna be sick. When I read what Jesus says, in the scriptures when i look at even matthew 6:33 and seek first the kingdom of god it's saying we should be more heavenly minded and less earthly minded so what's the takeaway today let's be ready for the lord's coming let's be ready to receive our invitation to the greatest party ever in luke chapter 12 verses 35 through 38 Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and a great crowd was following him. And he says to this on this occasion, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. woo Is that not something to be excited about? Is that not something to shout for joy? Jesus himself, we're being told here by him that he is going to come and he's going to meet us and he's going to greet us and he's going to take care of us. When in reality, we ought to be serving him. So why don't we take our time now and prepare for eternity by serving him the best we can now and focusing on the good things that God has prepared for us and not on all the negative stuff that's being thrown out day in and day out. Gosh, it could cause anybody to be depressed. Who does Jesus invite to the party? Those who are dressed for service. So what does that particularly mean? Well, first things first, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, that's the first step. Take that step. Let us know. Take the connection card that you have in the bulletin you should have received when you came, and there's a spot in there that says, I've received Christ. Check that box. Take it back to the connection center afterwards, and somebody will be there to receive that. We would like to make contact with you. If you're watching online, you can do this as well. Go to our website. There's a connection card there. Call the office. Make contact with us any way you can. Call me personally, I'd love to hear from you and let us come alongside of you and help you grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ so you get an invitation to the greatest party ever. Next, we need to be active in our faith at all times like the five bridesmaids who had their lamp full and prepared at all times for the groom to return. We need to invest in the kingdom of heaven here on earth like the two servants did. So let me give you some practical steps as we wrap up. First, and Pastor Tim has been talking about this over the last several weeks, and this is really important. I mean, I'm I'm giving you some practical things to do here, folks. You need to serve in ministry. You need to serve in ministry. If Grace Point is your home church, you need to be active somewhere in ministry, whether it's holding babies in the nursery, because my precious grandson's going to be in there soon, who was born. I just had to make note of that. My precious grandson, Jax. Jax, this is for you, buddy. I know you don't can't understand me right now, but you will someday that grandpa loves you very much. I want somebody to take care of my grandson. Don't you want somebody to take care of your kids? And if your kids are no longer there, well, good for you. Go hold a child. Take care of a kid. Work in our kids' ministry. Do we are our kids not important to us that we want to take care of them? We take care of them physically, healthily, emotionally, spiritually is the most important, guys. So, sign up to get involved in our kids' ministry. There's all kinds of areas you can get involved in to help our staff. Sign up there. Get involved in our youth ministry. Get involved in our adult ministry. Find a place. Get involved in our connection team. Find a place to serve. If you're a follower of Christ, there's no excuse. If Grace Point's your home church, you should sign up. You know, folks, we don't have much room with the social distancing and everything. We've had to remove chairs to make people feel a bit more comfortable and safe. We understand that. We have to do more services to get more people in. I don't want people to have to stay home if they want to be here. And the only way we can do more services is if more people get involved. So people can hear about the greatest party for them and get that invitation as well. So let's not just go, well, I got an invitation. I'm not concerned about you. I want y'all to get. Did I just say y'all? I did, didn't I? I want all of you to get an invitation. Everyone. Next, interact with people about Jesus. I know many of you are introverts, and I'm an extrovert, and you say, Pastor Frank, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not always easy. Don't get me wrong. But what I have found to be easy to do, and I know introverts can do this. I'm married to one, and my wife is fantastic at this. She'll walk up to somebody, invite them to church like that. She won't know them. She'll smile at them. She goes to the same grocery stores all the time, so they know, those greeters, they know my wife I mean, they just know she's coming. And she always approaches them, ask them how their day is going, stuff like that. Guys, I'm telling you, you don't have to be an extrovert to be able to share about Jesus and what he's doing in your life right now. I didn't say hit him over the head with the Bible. I'm saying just talk about what Jesus is doing in your life and how he's giving you hope because they're going to talk to you about how bad things are. That's what they're going to do because that's what the world keeps pumping in. That's what the news is all about. And you know what? you can give them hope. You can give them the truth. You can help them get an invitation to the greatest party ever. Pastor Tim, already said this before he introduced me to you folks today, this morning, but I think you need to give to Advent Conspiracy. If you could go with me to Rwanda or to Reynosa and see the orphans and the children at these places, and the smiles on their face when they see people who love them and continue to return to see them and the things we're able to do by building a school and a church and fixing up things that that they need fixed up so those kids can have a safe place to live and be taken care of. If you could go to places like that, if you could help out with the mentoring program with the bridge that we support here local or Topeka Rescue Mission and the homeless people that get uh, needs taken care of, If you could be a part of that and if you have been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's investing in the kingdom of heaven. That's a great investment. Well, that's what Advent Conspiracy is all about. So I wanna challenge you to give to that if you haven't already. It's a great cause, a great cause. And last but most certainly not least, pray for those who don't know Jesus yet. I am telling you folks, I've had family members that I prayed for years and years and years and years and years and years, and you get the point, that came to know Jesus years and years and years later. I believe in the power of prayer. I do. So let's pray for the lost. Let's pray. You may look at people and say, there's no way they'll ever listen. I disagree with you. Because see, I was one of those people that, My Christian friends that became my Christian friends after I gave my life to Christ that looked at me, and when I asked them straight out, come, you never told me about Jesus, they said, well, we didn't think you'd ever want to know, Frank, because of the way I was living my life and the way I acted. Folks, are you coming to the greatest party ever? This party is for all of us, every single one. Your invitation's in the mail it's there. Are you prepared for it? I hope so. I hope so. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, (laughs) it's exciting to know what is in store for us and how you spend so much time in scripture telling us what we have to look forward to and that we don't have to feel like this is it, what we have right now, we gotta go make the best of it because this is as good as it's going to get. That's not it at all, Lord. You give us hope of a future with you and with your son, Jesus Christ, and we look so forward to that, Lord. We can't wait to come alongside and serve you and serve others in the kingdom that is to come. Thank you for helping me to push that reset button again in my thinking, in my feelings, in my emotions. And I pray for those listening that if they need to push that reset, that they will do that this very moment. And they will put their their focus on you. They will fix their eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' precious name.